guys, among God, God's friends, I was thinking of this phrase in the book of Acts, it says they, they ministered unto the Lord. And obviously, there's a guarantee when you uh, draw near to God, it's a guarantee that he's going to draw near to you. It's, a, uh, it's just interesting. Uh, when, when God speaks to us, it's not a theory. It's only a th- it, it, scripture is never meant to be a theory or a nice idea that you agreed with. It was actually meant to be something that you stepped into the experience of it if you would receive it and act on what God asked you to act on it. And uh, that, that's sometimes um, part of our challenge as disciples. There, there is no discipleship without actually a practice of truth. And so uh, sometimes in, in like our culture, uh, we highly value ideas and concepts but a lot of times, because it's just been a setting like this where you're just taught things that sometimes there, there's been a little bit of a disconnect that you actually have to go do it at certain points. And uh, you, you really, uh, we all run this grave risk that if you constantly will hear a truth and never practice it, that you'll embrace um, a form of godliness, but never actually enter into that reality. But there's this, there's this absolute guarantee that if you'll draw, I remember year, years ago when I started like spending time with the Lord, intentional spending time with the Lord, uh, I, you know, I, I, yeah, I was hoping for like the angel right away, like the oil, everything, you know, like some, my Benny Hinn moment, like the first day. And it like didn't happen. I remember thinking like I, was, I prayed for like, I, I thought it was like at least 15, at least 30 minutes and like five minutes had gone by. I'm like, how do people talk to you? This is so boring. And uh, uh, no, real, really. And then, um, but I, I knew, I, I had, see, the, the, uh, the truth of scripture is powerful in your hands. That's why the enemy will work to steal it from you. I knew this truth, like, it, like, like I can miss it, but God can never miss it. So I'm going to stand in this, but like I just decided every day I'm going to sit here until you like come. You have to come. You promised you would come. So he's got to come. So that's a guarantee. It's not a theory. When God speaks to you, it's not a theory unless you don't act on it. So, but the other side of that is I felt in my heart, and this is the beauty of this exchange. I'm still like fascinated by it. And if you, if you are looking for a kingdom that can be understood with your intellect, you, you're, in, you're in the wrong kingdom. That's often our, our challenge is we will take um, ideas of the Babylonian system and apply like scripture to it. It doesn't work. Like uh, dominion is a very real idea, but sometimes the way it's taught or expressed, it... Uh, it, it, we embrace Babylonian system ideas. Uh, when, we, when it teaches us that we're going to rule and reign with God, it's not like, like we're going to take over. It's that we use our position and the anointing and the gifting of God on us to be a blessing to the world around us. You'll notice that Joseph's dream isn't fulfilled until he is able to answer the dream of a very ungodly man. So he rules and reigns, but he only gets there when it's for the benefit of other people. Amen. So uh, anyway, I don't know. I was just, just but the, the, trying to get to this idea here. 
this idea of you actually have the privilege, all of us, that you are actually in our worship, you're actually shifting something in the heart of God. You can actually minister unto God. He ministers to you, but you're actually, that's the phrase it says, and they ministered unto the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. Like, it's like, this is really good news. Like, good tidings of great joy it shall be for all people. I never understood why people got upset when people were laughing in church. Because it's good news. Like, if it's good news, you should be happy about it, you know? Like, <laughs> really should, you know? So I was just thinking about that when we were worship. We're ministering unto the Lord, you know? He is the, he is the greatest revelation ever. I, I've just noticed my life stays stays. Pretty, uh, pretty focused correctly when it's unto him. Like, you know, uh, you ever like talk to the Lord? I did, this happens all the time. It's like, you know, you'd like to talk to him about something. And he is just totally not really interested in talking about this pr- thing that you think is a big problem in your life. And then like, just, you just minister unto him. Take, you know, you just take the next, you know, few days and just minister. And then suddenly like, I'll, I'll like be, going into a restaurant and he starts, he just gives me understanding of what I need to do in that situation. Because it seek ye first the kingdom of God. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the priority of life. And when that becomes a priority, he makes what is important to you a priority. Like he's really, like, like I, I just know, like it's a, it's a really good deal. If, if, if your heart is completely given to him, he's not, afraid of giving you stuff. He's not afraid of giving you opportunity, favor, all that stuff, because he just knows that if he's got your heart, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have a hold on you. And if it does have a hold on you, he'll just challenge you with it. You know, I think the rich young ruler is rich because he's obeying the Lord. And um, somewhere along the line, he starts looking at the things that God has given him. And he, he goes, well, you know, if COVID happens, I got my stash here. It'll, it'll get me through. And and any time the affections of your heart go towards something that is not rooted in him, he'll go, oh, let me have that. <laughs> it's what he asks you, like, it's where he challenges you. That's where you discover that your, your, your compass is a little off. Yeah. You're like, I love you, Lord. Okay, go forgive your brother for raping you when you were fourth grade. No, I don't love you that much, you know. <laughs> See, it just got quiet with that one because get, he's very practical, you know. You're like, I love you, Lord. Like, go tell your boss you're sorry for gossiping about him for the last two years. You're like, no, I don't love you that much. You know, I just, I love you. I go to Africa, you know. Like, <laughs> you're like, like, like uh, I'll die for you. You're like, no, I don't want you to die for me. I want you to pay for everyone's breakfast in church tomorrow. Well, that's a lot of money. Well, do you love money or you love me? You know, he will always challenge you. Like, this is just what it's like to walk with him. You know, like if you, if you, that, that's why the enemy, I don't know why I'm saying all this, but the enemy, that's what I, I just learned, that's why the enemy will constantly fight your trust in God. Because it, it, is, it is the only thing that, that, that bases you and connects you with God and breaks you free from any, any limitations of this world. So, and I've learned that he will, like, anytime there's some, anytime I'm struggling with something, it's usually because I'm trying to preserve something. And there's no life in self-preservation. So, um, anyway, so we minister unto him. Lord, we thank you for tonight. Let's just lift our hands. Lord, I love the word of God. Open up your word to us.
Lord, I, I, uh, I confess like Jesus. Without you, I can't do anything, but with you, I can do all things. <laughs> I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. In you, through you, to you are all things. Thank you that there's an open heaven. Thank you that this is Bethel. This is the gate of heaven. Thank you. Oh, spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Just come to this room. Thank you for a group of people set and focused on you. Lord, we, uh, tonight we just pray for our nation. As you've commanded us, you said to pray first of all for all those in authority. So we pray for those in authority in this state in um, this land, God. Lord, I thank you that uh, righteousness will reign. But you also said the king's heart is in your hands. So we ask that the king's heart would be turned towards the purposes of God. Lord, uh, would you uh, cause your body to have a seal over its heart that we would speak and say things correctly. Teach us your ways tonight, God. Open up your word. Let it be like those two disciples who walk with you on the road to Emmaus and their hearts burned as you open the word to them. So open your word to us, God. We, we, we are in need of your help. And so, Lord, I ask again for um, words from heaven. Words from heaven that change the earth. Words from heaven that change the earth. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. You said you'd guide us into all truth, so guide us into all truth. And uh, thank you for uh, an equipping grace to become what you've already saw us become. So we agree with you tonight, God. We agree with you tonight. I uh, kept sensing this when I stood up. Uh, somebody's, uh, I believe your lower back is being healed. Two people, just be healed tonight in the name of Jesus. Somebody watching just on the webcast. Jesus has his hands of fire. You're encountering the beautiful sun. Lord, I thank you that tonight is a night of uh, deliverance and freedom, God. Thank you that you're touching people's ears to hear. Lord, we just thank you that um, Jesus, the great prophet, will speak tonight. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. And all of God's people say it. Right. Yeah, that's from my upbringing there. I um, felt from the Lord... Uh, to share with you a little bit of what the Lord um, began to speak to me on the morning of October the 8th, 2020. Lord began to speak to me about 2021 and beyond. And I'm just going to share part of it. And then I felt like the Lord wanted us to back up and just unpack some things that I think are relevant to that word. And... Um, if you want the whole word, it's, it's available. The, at least the written form is available on our website. But uh, the Lord began to, he probably spoke to me October the 8th till about Christmas. And I don't remember exact the date on this because I didn't date these. But 
he began to say this to me. He said, vision is essential in this season for my people. Many of the defining features of the world system will fail. Many of the systems and many of what my people have trusted will fail, but I will not fail my people. That's <laughs> good news. He'll never fail you. I will not fail my people. I will grant those who are hungry to see and know unprecedented wisdom, purpose, and understanding. I'm inviting people in a renewed manner to see from my perspective. Indeed, this is a season I desire to equip my people to see as never before. This is a season on the earth of the seer. Indeed, arise and shine for your light has come. I want to teach my people, according to my word, how to legislate and move in authority from the unseen realm and bring what is in the unseen realm into the scene. Kingdom, eternal realities will be birthed on the earth. My desire is that the seers would arise on the earth. My desire is that the seers would arise. My desire is that my seers would arise. My desire is that my seers would arise. And he said it again. My desire is that my seers would arise. And this was uh, not, I don't think this was the same setting, but uh, he said this to me. He said, I want to give my people eyes to see what I've made available to them in this season. It's interesting. I had this uh, experience with the Lord last night where he's like, look forward and look where I want to take you. And what I've made available to this generation of my children on the earth, no other generation has been, been given. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding are my people's portion in this season. I will teach my people how to walk by faith and not by sight as never before. I will teach them not to be moved by what they see with their natural eyes, but only be moved by what I've been speaking and what I've declared to be true. This is a season on the earth when, when I want my people, when my people must devour, excuse me, my word as their highest delight and guard themselves against all other influence so that their highest delight is in me. Uh, Proverbs, right? Excuse me, Psalms. Delight yourself in the Lord and, you know, he will give you the desires of your heart or, or um, I got the wrong verse, but. The, the point is, uh, the Lord spoke to me sometime this past year. He said to me, uh, he said, if, if your highest delight is not in me, the, the lens by which you view reality will always be off. So that's why it's so important that you commit yourself to that. And it, it's, it's a daily choice, but not necessarily um, in a sense of perfection, but this posture of your heart where if even when you miss a turn you get right back on that road and you begin moving in that direction because uh, if that foundation is in any way uh, dysfunctional the trajectory of your life will always be dysfunctional this is a season on the earth when my people must devour my word as their highest delight and guard themselves against all other influences so that their highest delight is in me. I want to mark my people. Indeed, I want to brand my people with, uh, with uh, a marking that their greatest delight would be to know and experience my beauty. Indeed, the greatest revelation that I'm releasing on the earth is a revelation of, the, of my beauty and my name on the earth. When my people see my beauty, they will represent me as I have ordained them to represent me. Re represent me. 
Yeah, this experience I had last night is really interesting. Uh, Jesus was putting his hands on my uh, my uh, eyes, and the second time he'd done that this week, I'm like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm the man. I'm the man who has eyes of fire. I want your eyes focused on me because when you have your eyes focused on me, I'll give you eyes of fire. You reflect the one that you're observing. You know. So there is uh, this truth about who God is." And you find it in, in Revelation 1. It says, he's the Alpha, the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. Mean, meaning, he has already seen the end of things. And he's, he's kind of brilliant. He's got actually beyond genius level because he already went to the end of your life before he put you on the earth. And he said he's got thoughts about you. <laughs> it's really interesting. He's got thoughts about you who are, are like the sand of the seashore. So if God has thoughts about you and he has no beginning, he has no end, it's possible that you've been around forever, at least in his mind. But he's already gone to the end of your life. So uh, the, my point in all that is that he's gone to the end of your life and he had specific things reserved for a specific group of people. But if we are not positioned correctly to receive what he wanted to give this generation it is possible to live on the earth god had made something available to you and you not access what he wanted to give you in the time period that you were living in. it's a great tragedy actually so we'll we'll uh look at this truth here and i'll make this statement which i think is important your internal reality governs your external reality your internal reality governs your external reality. We've been made by God. We've been made in the image of God. Image is pattern, resemblance after something. There is actually an aspect of the personality of God in all people. That's why all people should be respected and loved and not killed in their womb. Because they're made in the image of God. So you're made in the image of God. So likeness, pattern, resemblance after. God is what? Three distinct persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, I still don't think, I think, you know, it wasn't that they weren't trying really hard, but when they would show me like at Kids Crusade and Vacation Bible School, the eggs and the water, I still don't think that was good. It's a mystery. Three distinct persons, one God. In fact, even like the Hebrew in, in Genesis, it's, oh, you know, the, the, the criticism of the Muslims, but who cares what they think, uh, is that you serve different gods, you know? But it's three distinct persons, one God. So what does he make his people made in his image? Three distinct parts. Spirit, and I always say that first, because most people will identify with their body and their soul before they identify with their spirit. So it's the spirit, the soul, and the body. And just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are integrated persons. I mean, how many times you're like talking to the Lord, the Holy Spirit says something, and then kind of Jesus steps in there? Because <laughs> they're integrated. It's like, and they're all working together. They, they, the Godhead cannot do the things that he desires to do in the earth unless there's a synchronization. So we are that representation. That's why the enemy works really hard to disjoin people. Three distinct persons, spirit, soul, and body. Paul said this, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes. 
So the, the Godhead, the Trinity, is three distinct compo- components that are synergistic in nature, in, in nature. Three distinct persons, synergistic in nature. You are three distinct parts that cannot be dismissed from each other. Let me just give you a very easy example. If God calls you to go to another country on a mission trip or something, and uh, this is not meant to shame or blame you, but just the truth of it, and you are severely overweight or you have a condition in your body, you cannot fulfill everything that God's asked you to do if your body is not in correct alignment. Why? Because God doesn't just call your spirit. Your body's got to come along for the ride. Your mind's got to come along for the ride. All these other things. Really easy example too. If you're sick in your body, it's likely that you are thinking about your own self and not thinking about somebody else's healing. That's why he wants your whole body. Uh, Sometimes, I've noticed this, that, excuse me, when uh, maybe I'll, I'll teach in a morning session or something, then I got to come back and maybe do an evening service or a night session in a school or something. Uh, probably one of the number one things I do if I'm feeling like a little, it's like this, I call it like this suck down feeling. I go for a run. I'll work out for 30, and I feel like I'm going to change the first five minutes. I'm like, <laughs> but once you get going, and, I, and I'll lay down for maybe 10 minutes. I am good to go. Why? Because I'm an integrated being. I can hear the Lord better. I can connect with the world better. So you're an integrated being. But your internal reality governs your external reality. This is a, this is a distinct difference between how the majority, and sometimes, unfortunately, many believers view the world. They view everything as external. external. You'll see, too, that God created the world to show his internal realities govern the external realities. Look at Romans uh, chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen. So what you can't see about God has been displayed through the creation he's made. Being understood that the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so are without excuse. Also, sometimes many people refer to that scripture to say, this is why no one is without, no one will be free from from actually being judged by God because just look at the world and go, God had to do it, you know? So your internal realities governs your external reality. Look at, look at these series of verses. Matthew chapter 9. We're not doing a full look at this, but we're looking at principles here tonight. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. This is a New Living Translation, and I want to look at it in, in a few different ways to emphasize this point. Excuse me. Just then, a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, notice there, her thought leads to an action, and the action she commits, her thought process governs her behavior. Her behavior is putting faith in God. If you read that whole story, you have a whole bunch of people touching Jesus. If I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And also notice her thought became words and her words became her experience. Jesus turned around when he saw her daughter be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. Faith. Her internal belief 
cause her to receive healing. And the woman was healed in that moment. And then uh, the King James has a real interesting way of putting it. And behold, the woman, which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years, came behind him, and she touched the hem of his garment. That's definitely King James right there. Touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, she said within herself, if I may touch his garment, I shall be whole. And Jesus turned about him when he saw her. He said, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith, I like that, thy faith has made you whole. And the woman was made whole from that very hour. So thought, uh, uh, King James puts it this way, she said within herself. So your internal reality governs your external reality. How you perceive yourself in relation to God defines how you perceive God. It's really important right there. How you perceive yourself in relation to God defines how you perceive God. Your perception of God will define what you believe in God and then therefore defines your belief system. Look at uh, Genesis, the third chapter. We won't read the, story, the whole story. We might go back to it. As we look at this, but we know, uh, well, hopefully you know the story. Uh, you know that the enemy comes like a serpent. They dialogue, they agree. And let's just pick up the story in verse 7. And when the eyes of both of them were open, they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig tree leaves together and made themselves covering. And when they heard the sound of the Lord, Walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord, and, and, and the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid, my, hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? So this is really interesting. I want to suggest to you that it is probably likely that Adam never ran away from God until he made the wrong choice. And you'll notice too that again, his internal reality governed his external reality in the world that he lived in. He believed a lie he came into agreement with the lie. He behaved incorrectly. And now his world is not, his, his body is corrupted. The world he lives in is corrupted. But the worst thing that is corrupted is the way he thinks. Because God is looking for him. He's turning away from God. So because he is perceiving himself incorrectly inside of God, even though he'd made, he'd made, he had, he'd made a mistake, and even though the, 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 probably one of the number one attributes that he experienced in God from the moment he was created is that he was actually, a, absolutely accepted by God. He knew. Oh, God. God and I. Cool, God. Thanks. It's cool. You gave me the world. Thanks. It's awesome. So now that he's made a mistake, he is viewing himself incorrectly, and how he's also view, he is also uh, projecting upon God what he thinks about himself. 
here's one of the constant things. Let me say, say this again. How you perceive yourself in relation to God defines how you perceive God. Your perception of God defines your belief system. So even on his worst day, God is looking for him. On his worst day of mistake, God goes, I'm coming for you, son. But his perception of God is going, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not worthy. So this is a common thing. Guilt and shame will often keep you from turning correctly to God. It's a, a very common thing, even with many believers. Guilt is defined as the fact or state of having committed an offense. How many have ever committed an offense? Shame. That's a really nasty thing. Painful feeling of having done or experienced something dishonorable or improper. And this is where this gets people. A lot of people know that they're forgiven, but they still carry the shame and the trauma of their poor mistakes. To cause to regret or disappointment. Now, I want to point out to you, this really helps me. Anytime you have these feelings, again, so you'll see we're integrated beings. Uh, I understand sometimes why it's taught this way. That don't go by your feelings and things like this. But we are integrated beings and your feelings will actually often indicate places of trauma in your life. You don't live by feelings, but feelings will often point to you to trauma in your life. And often, because, I'll just say it, because of a way things are religiously taught to people, they are taught to dismiss the feelings that they feel. I'm fine. No, 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 no you're not fine. <laughs> Why do I feel that way? Well, because you got trauma that God wants to heal. So guilt and shame, but here's what helps me to go back to this thought here. That often when you have these feelings, the enemy will try and project it on you and make you live in that place. But here's what you need to remember about this. Everything that the enemy is, he's lost his mind, he's lost his position, he's got guilt, he's got shame, he's got fear. He tries to put all that stuff on you. Because he's a miserable little fellow. I'm serious. He's really miserable. And the only thing he can do at this point, there's no, there's no salvation for him. Like, he's, like his fate is sealed. So the only thing he can really do is hopefully throw something on you that he experiences all the days of his life. And it's going to get worse for him. So he projects on you what's on him. And often, here's the worst thing, he will speak to people and people think it's God. Because he's this nasty religious spirit. He is. It's very tolerated in the body of Christ. So your perception of God defines your belief system. And then your perception of God defines what you can receive from God. Hugely important. Look at uh, John the 5th chapter.
After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time in a pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew already that he had been in that condition a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be made well? That's a fascinating thought. But, and I don't, fully, uh, I don't fully suggest that I have full comprehension of why Jesus is asking that question. But here's one conclusion that I believe he can safely come to in the Gospels. And it's this, that Jesus is not only trying to deliver him and bring him healing, he is also trying to get him to a place of shifting the way he thinks about who God is in that moment. He just doesn't want to just, hey, just, just get healed here. Jesus has made healing available to him, and it's in that question he's, he's trying to, I believe, at least getting, getting, get him to a place that even in his victim thinking and victim mindset, which this disease has robbed him of, he is trying to get him to a place to say, everything you need of can be received through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I asked him the question. He doesn't just go, okay, I'm going to heal you. He is, trying to, he is trying to use the miracle as an opportunity to teach him as a way of life. Now, this is even more interesting. The sick man answered him and said, often our response to the questions of Jesus indicate uh, wrong thinking. It will teach us where we're thinking incorrectly. Sir, I have no man to put into the pool where the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before, before me. So he is giving Jesus a reason for which why, why he cannot receive the healing that Jesus wants to give him. You'll notice that there's nowhere in the Gospels where Jesus ever turns anyone down to receive a healing or deliverance. It is true that Jesus did not heal every sick person he came into contact with. That is absolute, expressly told in Scripture. But the flip side of that is, no one who came to him in faith, even if they had the smallest faith, he would, he would keep pushing them to a place, come on, you can get it. <laughs> I want to give it to you. So here is a man who 38 years has been suffering this thing, the Son of Man, the Son of God, is standing before him. He has healing available to him, but his perception of what is in front of him is actually causing him to stay in a place of victimhood. So what does Jesus do? He helps people. That's really good. And Jesus said to him, notice too, though, I want you to notice about this miracle, that he doesn't just go, okay, let me just put hands on you, get it right. He actually gives him an action step. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well and took up his bed and walked. I want to suggest to you, though, that the whole time, God had made healing available to this man. But the way he was thinking caused him to not be able to receive it. 
That's not just healing. That's every area of your life. Now look at um, Acts, the 14th chapter. Acts 14. We're looking at the idea that your perception of God defines what you can receive from God. Acts chapter 14. Acts 14, verse 6. And they became aware of it and fled to uh, Lystra, Derby, and cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding region. They were preaching the gospel there. In Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, <laughs> crippled from his mother's womb. Not laughing because he can't walk. I'm laughing because he's got something that will deliver to him what he needs. Who had never walked. Then this man heard Paul speaking, and Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. Seeing he had faith to be healed. I want to suggest to you that the man is not wearing a sign on him or a t shirt that says, I'm ready to receive my healing today. Jesus, the healer, and we know that in, in, in the covenant that God made with his chosen people, he said, no sickness shall be among you. It's a biblical promise of the covenant. Sickness and disease was not part of that, that, that covenant. So even in, the, in, in that, but even obviously as New Testament people. So Paul is observing something that is on the inside of this young man's heart to receive the healing that he needed. So your, your perception of God defines what you can receive from God. Your belief system defines your behavior. Your current behavior defines your future. It's very important to note here that the things that you do are not ar arbitrary. Meaning this. There's a reason you came here tonight. Might be because somebody made you. Might be because you're like, ah, oh, check it out. Might be because like, oh, I can't wait to get something from God. But there's a reason that you came. And if you thought that you might come, you're not here. <laughs> the good news is this, that at the heart of our walk and our journey with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of being in Christ, He is on this eternal quest to shift and transform the way we think and deliver us of all stupidity. And you got to look at it like that. I, it helps me look at it like that. The reason it helps me look at, at things like that is anytime... It's really stupid. You know, anytime I'm having like this conversation with the Lord, I'm thinking, that doesn't make any sense what you're trying to tell asking me to do. That doesn't make any sense. Usually it and you just back up for a minute. I look at it from the long view. The God who knows everything is talking to the guy who doesn't know anything. <laughs> and he's a hundred percent committed to you. And this is really, really important stuff, though. 
how you think. Here's something interesting. Look at uh, Matthew, the third chapter, Matthew chapter 3. I decided to go all over the Bible tonight. Verse 3, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judah. Now, I'll note to you that John the Baptist did no miracles. That's what scripture, I believe John talks about it. He did no miracles. So the strength of his ministry is the proclamation of what he is speaking. And it's really interesting what he comes and does. Saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, we know, is change of mind. So his job when he comes on the earth, and we'll read in a bit, well, let's just finish reading this whole thing. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, crying, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. So he comes as the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he comes and his message is, is it, the power of his message is in proclamation. They come out to see him. He didn't, you know, like didn't maybe go to Fuller or anything. He just went to Holy Spirit school. And he's out there, which is really amazing to me. And he's unusual in presentation, but there is life on what he's saying. <laughs> the world is really interested if you have life on what you're saying. I believe that with all my heart. That's why we don't need good communicators. It's good to be good communicators, not, not talking against that. But where are those with the word of the Lord? But he says, I am the voice. And what's he doing? He's preparing and he's making paths straight. And how is he making paths straight? He's making paths straight by preaching this message. You have to change your thinking because if your thinking is not changed, the path, the, or the path to making, to, to, to having an understanding of what this Jesus the Messiah is going to bring goes through a change in the way your thinking is operating. Really, really interesting. And then, of course, Jesus comes. The only message he ever preached was the message of the kingdom. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Footnotes sometimes say the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. The kingdom of heaven has drawn near. And this was a, a theme in Jesus' teaching. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. These signs will follow those who believe, who believe, who trust internal realities. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Hurt, hurt them, excuse me, hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. If you notice too, when he would do miracles, then after he would do miracles, I've been there. I can I can identify with those disciples, but hopefully we we can learn to profit. That you know, they do a miracle, and he goes, "Let's go to the other side," and it's like stormy. He stands up and he goes, peace. You know? And it, the, the writer, I, think, I believe it's Mark, he goes, they had not understood the miracle of the loaves. Hadn't understood what happened. Hadn't understood that they were supposed to shift their thinking by what they saw. Mark, John chapter 6. 
Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may, do, may, may work the works of God? Great question. And I love it that he answers it because in his answer, he's telling us that you can do the works of God. Jesus answered and said to him, this is the work of God. That you believe in him who we sent. He says, what's the foundation here? If you're believing us correctly, you can act like God. John chapter 11, verse 40, and Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? John chapter 14, verse 12, Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these, because I go to my Father. Notice too, we love him, right? Because he first loved us. But you have to believe that love for you. First John 14, verse 16. And we have known. That word know is like intimate knowledge. It's, it's, it's to sexual intimacy there. We have known. So again, it's not a theory here. We have known and what? Believed. We have known and literally, it's not a distortion of that scripture to say, we have known intimately and we have chosen to put our complete confidence in God, in that love. <laughs> we really messed up today. Oh, I know he loves me. Yeah, he's a legalistic fellow too. I don't know, you're worshiping. I love you, Lord. You screamed at your kids before you came here. I know, he still loves me. <laughs> Doesn't mean you deny reality. That's religious too. That is one of the worst religious things ever. I'm fine. No, you're, you're hurting. The man of great faith did not deny that his servant was tormented. He just denied it's the ability to stay tormented. It's not great faith to not talk about it. Now, but faith is this. It says we have come to know and believe. We've come to know and believe. Belief, scripturally speaking, biblical faith is not the agreement with an idea. It's very, very important, especially in this culture. I mean, I have people... Uh, they will tell me, oh yeah, I believe, I believe, yeah, I made Jesus Lord, and you know, I believe he's good, bad, you know. But their life has no demonstration of that. Now that's between them and the Lord, but here's what I do know. If you walk with the Lord, it says you should have some fruit. <laughs> and you shouldn't be saying perverted things. So biblical faith is not acknowledging that something is true. I can go, it's kind of like this. Uh, let's say there's a bridge that goes to my hotel tonight. I go, yeah, I know, it's, that's Bridge West, call it Bridge West. That bridge exists. I have not placed my faith in that bridge until I get in a car and go over it. So I can acknowledge something exists, come into agreement that that's a reality, but never put my confidence in it. You can even, you know, like, oh, I, God is my provider. You know, <laughs> like I, I realize you don't, you don't even really realize it until you're a place to really do that. 
So biblical faith is not in agreement with something. Biblical faith is making corresponding choices as though it's so. The, the wonderful passion of God is this, though, that he is intricately interested in bringing us into the experience of complete freedom in him, delivering us of every wrong thought process, delivering us of every dysfunction, delivering us of ideas we thought were true but weren't true, shame and guilt done in the name of God, It, I just realized this too, not realized this, but this is a truth I've come to note, that each of us come into the kingdom of God with beliefs and experiences that shape our worldview. That's why, that's why poverty is a, 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 just a, a nasty, ugly thing. I notice a lot of the people in the body of Christ, especially in America, who preach against poverty, they got money. It's really interesting. Like, we hate those prosperity preachers. And they're prosperous. That's interesting. <laughs> Got quiet with that one. <laughs> it really is true. I know one guy's like, that guy makes good. I know how much he makes. He's talking against those prosperity guys. <laughs> Again, apparently he believes in prosperity for himself, not for you. <laughs> That's even worse tragedy. It's kind of like those people that say, what's happening on Wall Street right now is not nice. We believe in the market, just not like this. Because it always worked in our favor. <laughs> you can't do that. You're not supposed to be making that much money. <laughs> You're too stupid. Just take your $1,200 check and shut up. You know. <laughs> Those nervous laughs. It's absolutely true. Like, listen, we've been, praying, we've been playing with your pension fund for 30 years now. We only have three yachts. How can you short us on this money? Well, anyway, different subject. But, but no, this is, this is uh, let me go back to that point. This is why it's a nasty thing. Because when you are completely impoverished, when I, I, and, I, and I've worked with people like this. Uh, year, years ago, I worked for a week in this, this housing project in the Philippines. Literally don't know where dinner's coming from. When you're living at that place, it is very difficult to think beyond that day. And it's very difficult to take inventory of your, your thought process, where you're going, how, because you are in survival mode. It's actually the, 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 the data actually shows that, that most people who, are, who are, are, are living in very traumatic and difficult situations are not thinking about the future. And one of, the, one of the values as believers is that you are, you're to be always supposed to be forward thinking. That's why that's a nasty thing. It's a terrible thing. It's an absolutely ugly thing. Why anyone could think that poverty is from God. That is nasty. Why would you ever want anyone to live like that? And so one of the goals is for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to teach us to think like Him. Unless one is born again, he cannot see, taste and see. That's why encountering the beauty of the Lord is so important because it defines the lens by which you view reality. Amen. 
Unless one is born again, he cannot perceive the kingdom of God. What is in the kingdom of God? Righteousness, joy, peace in the Holy Spirit. You could be like, I mean, Paul displays this brilliantly. He's in prison. He's like, let's, let's worship. Joseph, in prison, goes to the butler and the baker. Why are you sad? Makes me think he's probably not sad, even though he's in a really bad spot. Even as Americans, we have to identify these truths. You know, Americans, I'm going to get the job done. Don't pull me up by bootstraps. We need to get it done, we'll get it done. Kingdom of God doesn't work that way. <laughs> Kingdom of God is, He's your source of all things. That's right. And sometimes when you want to do stuff, you go, nah, I don't do that. That's not going to, you know, I need to do it. You know, I, I, let me help you. You're, whether you know it or not, God, like to be, God would like to be in partnership in everything you're doing right now. And he doesn't take, I've noticed, he does not take commands from Abner. <laughs> I came in culturally as an American, worked hard. My dad came to this country in 1969, escaped communist Cuba. Side note, nobody's going there for their free health care or college. No wall either to get in there. Nobody's trying to get in. But taught the value of hard work. And then I was a wrestler from the time I was seven years old till the time I was 23. So you have these values that are put inside of you. Not bad, all of them. There's some really good values that was put inside of me. But there are some other values that are a little off. And so we take the values that we've had and we, pro- and we project them often onto things in the kingdom. And one of the, the, the most liberating things that God wants to help us do as believers is to teach us how to be delivered of every incongruent thought. Yeah. And sometimes there are simple things. I remember, um, uh, it's probably been 10 years ago. Well, no, let's go back a little further. I don't know, I just keep getting younger and younger. But my, my dad is my hero. He really is. People are like, who's your spiritual dad? My dad. My dad's a man of God. Taught me things by... And I, I've noticed this too as I've thought of how I have learned values. A lot of the things that I learned that were very godly, that function in my life today, my parents never sat down and said, this is how you do it. They simply lived it in front of me and I picked it up because I was in that bloodline. Impartation. What you know, you can't you can't receive an impartation from people that's not really in them. But I'm praying one day. Oh Lord, I want to change the world. Give me an anointing to change history. All good prayers. All good prayers. <laughs> and he goes, he said to me, "You're trying to be a success in ministry because you're trying to prove to your dad you can be a success." I need you to get delivered of that. He didn't say it like that, but I understood what he was saying good idea. You want to do well. Right destination, wrong motive. He wants to heal you of that. I remember in high school, I didn't accomplish a certain athletic goal. 
And every time I thought about it, there's like this, eh, not a good feeling, but it was like pain I thought about it. I didn't dwell on it. So I'm praying one day. <laughs> here, here comes the Lord. He goes, you know, I was there that day. You lost that match. I loved you. I cared about you. I loved you before you ever won the match. Healed me of that pain. See, these life situations bring things into our life that we still carry that unless we, become, we, unless we do not become aware of them and give them over to the Lord, they will affect the lens by which we view reality and connect to God. And it's not like, uh, you know, I'm not like waking up every day, okay, what's wrong with me? It's just in this continuum of walking with Him, of being in relationship with people. And here's the big one that you'll have to overcome. Everything you need to shift you to become a healthy, strong, mature person in Christ, to be everything that God it wants you to be, you're, you will not receive it just between you and Him. People are like, I, 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 you know, God's never told me that. Well, He's been telling you through your husband for like the last 20 years. The voice of God will come through other people and it's up to your humility and posture whether you'll receive it. So we have these things we call ungodly beliefs. Beliefs are lies, lies about ourselves, about others, and about God. A belief is a conviction and a persuasion that develops over a period of time that we see the world from our own unique perspective. A belief or an ungodly belief is not necessarily based on fact, but on what we have experienced and learned. A belief system is a set of lenses that contains such things as beliefs, decisions, attitudes, agreements, judgments, expectancies, and inner vows. There are people, because they have been rejected in their life, here's what the enemy will do. They're rejected by a parent, rejected at, for advancement at work, rejected into the school they wanted to get into. They, they, they begin to carry rejection on them and they will project it to the world around them. They will project it when they come into a gathered community like this. They might not even say anything, but because of what they carry, people will not be drawn to come to them, to connect with them, and they will continue to live in this self-fulfilling prophecy that nobody cares about me. Because again, your internal belief system define the world that you live in. Uh, years ago, Youngie Cho, uh, 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 biggest church in the world at that time. I don't know if it's the still biggest church in the world. I know he's giving it over to somebody else. But uh, he came to the United States to preach, and he was preaching at a church in the Northwest. And um, very large church, I, I think faith background in this church. And he preached, I think, multiple Sunday morning services. And he finished ministering, and he asked the pastor, he said, how many doctors do you have in your church? And the guy thought for a while, a large church. The guy said, oh, we don't have any doctors. And he goes, well, it's your fault. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, good Koreans are straight up people. I like that. So he said, uh, he's, he's, he said, it's your fault because somewhere in your heart you have a judgment against medicine 
thinking that the best way that they can receive, people can receive healing is only through faith or through laying on of hands. So if a med- you may not ever articulate it with your mouth, but you, you will at some point. You know, when some people said, this, you know, I'm saying this, but it's not about this, it's usually about that. Because it's already convicting them. But he says that, and he says, somewhere in your heart you have this judgment, and you think that really the most spiritual way to be healed is through, through prayer, or laying on of hands, or the Word of God. And so people in the medical profession, or doctors in this case, will come to your congregation, and they will not feel welcome. You may never say it from the pulpit, but there's something in your heart that goes forth into the atmosphere, and you do you, you, they do not feel welcome. They say, I'm not going back. to the I don't know why, I'm just not going back. That's just not my place. Because you are projecting as a leader into the room that environment. Ungodly belief. As the Holy Spirit sanctifies our minds, our belief system begins to change from a mixture of mostly ungodly beliefs to more godly beliefs. Godly beliefs are statements in agreement with God, His Word, His character, and His nature. Ungodly beliefs are not in accordance with the Word of God, His character, and His nature. Though ungodly beliefs are false, they may appear to be true based upon our experiences. For example, no one loves me. I am all alone. I am defective, or I should just give up. God just, you know, I does somebody else who just won't do it for me. God doesn't love me. Now, here's an interesting one that I observed in the last year. We'll get more into this here. It's gotten very quiet. It's good. <laughs> somebody texted me this. So, like, hey, check this out. You know, Kobe Bryant this is coming on a year, right? He died. Something like that. I was there the night he drafted. I didn't really follow his career, but. Obviously, pretty brilliant career. ESPN interviewed Tracy McGrady, I believe. You can look it up. I think it's still on YouTube last time I looked. And the lady starts interviewing him. Oh, tell us. You know, I knew Kobe since we were little kids. And this is what Kobe said even when he was in high school. He said, I want to I have a legacy in basketball. Had what he said. And I want to die young. And I thought, He had what he said. He's had what he believed. Well, I mean, I don't know. Unless he repented, I, I, you know, doesn't appear he did. But it's words and things we believe. In fact, I don't believe the lady was born again, but I remember, she said, well, didn't he love his kids? Because she even felt like, oh, there's something really insightful about what he just said and wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah, he loved his kids. Yeah, he wouldn't want to die now. No, who wants to die? when they're 41 or whatever. Ungodly beliefs come from childhood hurts, traumas, negative experiences, make a strong impression on us. For example, a father who misses all the ball games or birthdays or parties or never there for the child. Ungodly beliefs can come from the natural or unredeemed mind or experiences and hurts. So here's what happens. I, we, I call this the belief expectation cycle. Experience leads to the formation of beliefs. 
I'll never get ahead. I can't ever do that job or I can't ever get this degree. So now you have a belief system. Or I'll always, I'll always, I can't, you know. And you got to be careful because sometimes we'll actually mock ourselves. I can't even walk by the buffet table without gaining six pounds. And the demons are gone. Yes. I'll keep them tormented. <laughs> got quiet with that one too. Holy Spirit wants to fill people. Demons want to fill people. No, it's absolutely true. The moment you get born again, God has made a way for you to be delivered of all your traumas. Some people go, I don't, I don't need to talk about all this stuff. I'm good. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Well, let me ask you a question. Say I lead somebody to the Lord tonight. Brother A, lead him to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Brother gets saved. But he's got a major back problem. He gets saved, filled with the Spirit. You're like, he's still got a back problem. Did Jesus die for the back problem? Absolutely, but you have to appropriate by the revelation we know to that area of his life. But the reason the enemy fights this thing is because when you tell people there's nothing going on with you, that demon goes, excellent, now I got a theology to keep him bound in that thinking. I know not everyone agrees with me, but I'm right on this one. <laughs> our beliefs cause us to have certain expectations, and the expectations govern our actions and our behavior. Our behavior affects other people. Now, here's a really big one. This is why I believe in deliverance and inner healing ministry so strongly. I often see this with married people. They love each other. It's the will of God they get married. And their demons will be attracted to each other. <laughs> At least I got somebody who thinks it's true. So here's what happens. They get married. It's awesome. And then their demons try and kill each other. And the thing, and often it is a strength in that person that's supposed to be a great blessing to you in that marriage context. But because it's distorted or because it's coming through the wrong filter, and you go, here's some comment on godly beliefs. No matter how hard I try, it will not be enough to please God. God is waiting for me to make a mistake. I feel the pleasure of God when I'm doing the right thing. You can feel the pleasure of God anytime. God cares for others more than he cares for me. Here's one where uh, I can usually identify somebody has really lost hope in an, in an area. It's happening for everyone else. How come it's not happening for me? I'm telling you, read that story of Joseph if there's ever anyone
who could have chosen to be a victim. It could have been Joseph. And I'm not dismissing any trauma, any pain that you've gone in your life. But I am saying you, you don't have to live in that place. You don't have to stay in that place. Amen. He is the great reconciler. You could have been abused your whole life. He'll redeem you. Not only redeem you, completely restore you. You don't have to live with that thing. Okay, live, come from a family of drunks. Addiction is broken. Come from a family of people who never graduated high school. You can get a doctorate degree. Come from a family of people who start stuff but never finish it. You can become that finisher. Here's some ungodly beliefs. I don't belong. I'll always be on the outside, left out. My feelings don't count. No one cares what I feel. No one will love or care about me. Here's a common one. If, I, if they really knew who I was. I'll always be lonely. I will isolate myself so I won't be vulnerable to hurt rejection anymore. Often, we will be living in judgments that we have actually declared about ourselves in response to a trauma. Somebody hurts us. If we get hurt among the believers or a leader hurts us, this, that. I'll never let a, a leader hurt me like that. I love God, but I don't like the leaders, you know. <laughs> so what happens? That judgment in your heart cuts you off from the blessing a leader can be to you. I remember I was talking to this one leader and my heart jumped back. He said, I'll never allow myself to be vulnerable like that again. If you knew the real me, you'd reject me. I must wear a mask. That's probably not a good one these days. <laughs> so people won't find out how horrible I am and reject me. Now here's another one. I've messed up so badly, I've messed up God's best for me. I'll never get credit for what I do. My value is in what I do. I'm valuable because, I'm, I, because I do good to others, because I am successful. Even when I do give my best, it's not enough. I can never meet the standard. Here's another one. This is one I have trouble with, so I practice the fruits of the Spirit. I will choose to be passive in order to avoid conflicts that would risk others' disapproval. Oh, here's, here's a common one. I had to get delivered to this one. I have to plan every day and I have to continually plan and strategize. I can't relax. The perfect life is one in which no conflict is allowed. There's just peace. I'm unattractive. God shortchanged me. I'm doomed to have certain disabilities. They're just part of what I inherited. I'm not competent or complete as a man or a woman. My mom always makes me angry. My brother's always bringing this up. I'll never have enough money. Just seems like everything I do just never works with that. I try and hear from the Lord and obey and just doesn't work out. I 
I will never be known or appreciated for my real self. Here's another common one. I'll never change to be what God wants me to be. I've wasted a lot of time and energy some of the best years of my life. Turmoil is normal for me. That's how it always is in relationship with me. You know, I start, I'm really nice, and then, you know, they just... They just <laughs> Here's something I would encourage you to do. If you see constant patterns in certain areas of your life, you may really want to bring that to the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you not to spiritualize your dysfunction. Here's such a good news. God does his best work when you're willing to admit reality. Well, you know, I'm like, I'm a forerunner. I'm very prophetic. The church, a lot of people can't really handle where I'm going. No. I'm not saying certain people can't handle it, but sometimes we spiritualize our dysfunction. That, you know, that's why I don't have any friends. No, you don't have any friends because you're mean. <laughs> we don't want to spiritualize our dysfunction. You know, and it, it's so powerful. You're like, yeah, you know, I've made this, I've realized I keep making this mistake. I realize I need deliverance in this area. I realize I need to shift that thinking. Now here's the big one too. When you identify the ungodly belief and renounce it, we'll do that tonight. As you walk it out, what you will discover is how that ungodly belief affected the lens by which you relate it to other people. That's where the renewal of the mind has to come in. Tell this from my own life. Uh, it's been about two years ago, and I'm just on this journey. I, again, I don't wake up every morning going, what's wrong with me? <laughs> oh, he tells me. <laughs> it's really good, you know. <laughs> I, had a, I had a meeting with someone last Sunday, and uh, you know, like, you know. And I had to go right into another meeting. And I go, I shouldn't have said that, right? He goes, no, it was Saturday. He goes, that's right, you shouldn't have said that. Okay. What was going on there? Oh, you had a judgment against that person because they annoyed you. That's why the moment they came up, so I repented. Talked to the person I talked to about. So you know. But about uh, two years ago, just going, Lord, what you got? Showed me. Showed me. It's uh, April 2019. In this retreat. Showed me this scene from when I was a little, little, little boy. I thought, I hadn't thought about this in years. He goes, when that happened, this spirit of rejection came in. I'm going to get rid of it today. But I've been unpacking how that impacted the relationships I had. He'll guide you into all truth. Because his passion is for you to think in freedom. 
Do I believe everything is a demon? No. Lots of things are, though. If you have an overwhelming compulsion when you want to do the right thing to keep doing certain things that you know are ungodly, there's probably a demon in there. Yes. Doesn't mean you're a demon. Amen. Just means you have a creepy crawler that needs to go. I believe another part of this word that the Lord's given me is that um, sometime in October, I'll, maybe I'll read the rest of it tomorrow, but the Lord said to me, he goes, what I'm doing in the earth right now, the enemy cannot stop. This is the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit the world has ever seen. It's being birthed now. And at the heart of it is a people who have a revelation of my name. And so part of this process is that just in this, like, here's, here's what a little bit of prophetic intercession looks like. Lord, we just pray for this issue. And then you go, and then he goes, yeah, you're part of that issue. Okay, Lord, Lord, forgive me. So it's this process of pursuing the mind and the heart of God, not only for our lives, but for the world around us, that we recognize all that it's not, I call it happy repentance. It's not like he's like shaming you. And, and here's another thing that the Lord really spoke to me. God is really proud of his people right now. It really is. It's really like, like it's not really hard to pick up what's wrong with the church. You know, like, people like, I'm prophetic. No, you just open your eyes, you know. But there is a whole remnant of people in the earth who are after the heart of God and all in the best way we know how we're trying to serve him with all our heart. And in that place, he's going, you keep going, guys. There's a group of people who came out of whatever... Pandemic, I call it plandemic. <laughs> Whatever, you know, they came out of that. It was an opportunity to turn again and to do the right thing and to act correctly. Thank you, Lord. And I'm telling you, God is pleased with his bride right now. It's not that he doesn't go, oh, we, could sh we, we all know there's areas we need to shift, but he is pleased with his people. But also I know we get to move at an accelerated pace when we admit the shifts in mindset that we need to make to agree with him. Because he is coming back for a roaring, glorious line of the tribe of Judah church in the earth.